Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make Him known. The Gospel lesson for today is from John, chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. This can be found on page 1078 of your Pew Bible or printed in your program. Jesus appears in his resurrection form to his gathered disciples and speaks to Thomas in a unique and personal way, resulting in Thomas's declaration of faith. This and other similar accounts demonstrate that Jesus chooses to reveal himself to each of us in a manner that meets our own spiritual needs. Our reading from John, chapter 20, beginning with the 24th verse. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. What you probably know is that my wife Nancy and I and our two middle school age kids live in the parsonage here on the church property right across the parking lot over there. What you probably don't know is that we recently added a member to our family. We adopted a puppy, a rescue dog. I've got a picture of it here for you. Isn't that, you know, with all the stuff going on in the world, let's just look at puppy pictures today <laughs> instead of the sermon. Yeah. Her name is Little Miss Sunshine. We call her Sunny for short. And I want you to picture this dog in our yard as I see her. I've been observing this dog, and she must have some hound dog in her. Because that little nose gets on a trail, on a track of some kind. And she just gets single-mindedly focused, even obsessed, with following that trail. It's really funny to watch her. It's like a chipmunk or a squirrel or a deer that's come through the yard. And she just gets single-minded on it. Must be some hound in her. Jesus has been called the hound of heaven. You ever heard that? The Hound of Heaven. The title came from a 1917 poem by an English poet named Francis Thompson. It's a long poem. It's written in Old English. It's fascinating. You can look it up online. It's basically a story of this man, Francis, who wandered off from God. He strayed from Jesus. And the poem describes how Jesus sought after and found him like a hound sent from heaven. It's not so much a story of him seeking and finding God, but God seeking and finding him, the hound of heaven. 
In our scripture reading today, we're going to look at the story of Thomas, often referred to as Doubting Thomas. And we're not so much going to focus on the actions of Thomas, though we will look at those, but rather on Jesus, who sought after and found and revealed himself to Thomas and two others we're going to look at in a unique and a particular way that Thomas and the others could understand. He was the hound of heaven revealing himself to them. And we'll ask ourselves as we go through this story, is Jesus still in the business of pursuing and finding people? Is he still the hound of heaven? So let's look at it together today. John chapter 20, verse 24, we just heard it from Patrick. We'll hear these words again and kind of unpack them together, beginning with verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them. That's the other disciples who had already experienced Jesus resurrected from the grave was not with them when Jesus came. Verse 25, so the other disciples told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side. Look at this next phrase. I will never believe. Now, Jesus could have responded a number of ways to a statement like this. I'll be honest with you, if if I was Jesus, I would have said, really, Thomas? I just died for you? I just rose again and you need more? You need the evidence? Thomas is saying, show me the evidence. I know you other disciples believe you've seen him, but I won't believe until I see proof. You see, there was an intellectual barrier for Thomas to beholding and believing in Jesus. Jesus could have been like, psh, this guy. But let's watch the actions of Jesus. How does he respond to such a sentiment? Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, now I just want to slow down on this for a minute. Jesus appears in the room mysteriously in his resurrected body. He greets all the others. Peace be with you. Now where's Thomas? You see the hound of heaven. He's come on a mission. You ever seen someone walk into a crowded room and they beeline it towards one person? Like my dog in the yard, just following that chipmunk. Jesus comes in. Peace be with you guys. What's up, disciples? Where's Thomas? I got business with Thomas. And he goes and finds Thomas, verse 27. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Oh, the grace of our pursuing God. We're going to look at Thomas's response in just a moment, but how wonderful and gracious and pursuing of Jesus to know that Thomas had this intellectual barrier. I need the evidence. I need the proof. And Jesus appeared to give exactly what Thomas needed in that moment. My Lord and my God, he says. Now this story on its own is interesting. But there are two stories that go before it and after it that I want to quickly summarize for you 
to show how Jesus, the hound of heaven, meets people in their own particular, unique, individual way. The story that comes right before it, earlier in the chapter in John chapter 20, is of Mary and how Jesus encounters Mary after the resurrection. It describes for us that it's the morning of the resurrection and Mary is standing, it says, outside the tomb, weeping. She's weeping. She's grieving. This is Mary Magdalene. She was so close to Jesus, he had rescued her in a number of ways. She's weeping outside the tomb. She is full of emotion. Whereas Thomas had an intellectual barrier, show me the evidence. Mary is full of emotion. She's weeping. She's grieving. She sees someone in the garden. She thinks it's the gardener. She says to the person she thinks is the gardener, if you've taken his body, will you tell me where it is? But then this man she thinks is the gardener says one word to her. He says, Mary. And she realizes it's Jesus and she embraces him. And I imagine that her tears of grief quickly turn to tears of overwhelming joy. Jesus embraces her and she embraces him. And she beholds the risen Christ. That's Mary. Then we hear the story of Thomas. She sees the evidence. Then the story after this one is one of Peter. You might remember Peter, the night in which Jesus was betrayed. Peter's being held captive by the high priest. Peter's standing around a charcoal fire, and some Roman soldiers or others come up to him and they say, Aren't you with Jesus? And he says, No, don't know the guy. And he's asked it again, and he's asked it a third time. And three times, Peter, who thought of himself as the best disciple, he denies he even knows Jesus three times. Now it's after the death and resurrection. Peter has gone back to Galilee. He's gone back to fishing. And he's out on the sea fishing with some other disciples. And this man appears on the beach. And they don't know who he is at first. And the man says, toss the net on the other side. And they do, and they catch 153 fish. And Peter realizes that's Jesus on the shore. And he jumps off the boat, classic Peter, so enthusiastic. And he swims to the shore. And Jesus says this wonderful line in John chapter 21. He says, come, let's have breakfast. And he sits down with Jesus. And three times Jesus restores the relationship with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know I do, Lord. And he asks him again. He asks him three times Peter had denied Jesus three times. Now he gets an opportunity to reconcile, to restore the relationship with Jesus. Think about this. These three stories all in a row. What's it telling us? It's painting a picture of the hound of heaven. Mary, full of grief, gets comforted. Thomas, full of doubt, gets evidence. Peter, full of regret gets reconciliation. Each one in their own unique individual way, the hound of heaven. I love this phrase uh, that we read from verse 26. Eight days later, you know, Peter, uh, Thomas says, I won't believe unless I can touch his wounds. Eight days later, there's been all, you can read the commentaries. Why, why was it eight days? You know, the number eight, what does it mean? Maybe he's out meeting with lots of people exactly how they needed to be met. He was busy. Showing up in people's lives, the hound of heaven. I can't wait to hear those stories when we get to glory. Is Jesus still pursuing us today? Is he still the hound of heaven? You know, it was so much fun during Holy Week. 
last week. We started hearing all these reports of people. I, I want to say coming to Christ. That's the phrase we often use, but it was really stories of Christ coming to people. The pursuing God, the hound of heaven. A couple of weeks ago, somebody had brought a friend, an unchurched, non-Christian friend, and they were listening to the sermon. And I got a report from the one who brought the friend that during the preaching, suddenly she realized, oh, that's why Jesus died on the cross. She had never realized it before. The Holy Spirit revealed it to her. Someone else on Good Friday at the Good Friday service just sat here the entire hour and wept. That's God reaching that person through the emotions. We often, I should say it differently, sometimes Christians, sometimes churches expect that the only way God meets people is through the emotions. You know, sometimes it doesn't feel like real church unless you're crying. I've heard that a little bit sometimes before. You guys know my preaching by now. I don't normally cry from the pulpit. Every once in a while I do. And when that does happen, I inevitably get the comment after the service. Somebody will say, that was the best sermon you've ever preached. (laughs) That's a Mary, right? That's somebody who gets reached by God through the emotions. I know other people are more like Peter. And they experience that reconciling power of the gospel. Like Peter, maybe they're living with regret. Things that they've done in their past, things that they've left undone. And they come into church and they're just, all they can think about is all the regret. And they come to church and they're reminded of the reconciling story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who forgives all our sins. We come to the communion table and we remember that it was his body that was broken, it was his blood that was spilled so that he would pay the price for our sins and we could be reconciled to the Father. There are people who come to church and they experience Jesus through that reconciling relationship. Jesus said to Peter, come, let's have breakfast. And in a sense, we say every Sunday, come, let's have supper together. We experience the reconciling story of the gospel. For me and my own story, I'm not so much like Mary. I don't cry that much when I experience Jesus I'm not so much like Peter. I don't have that many regrets in my life, thank God. I'm probably most like Thomas. I'm cerebral. My wife says I live up in my head all the time. I'm a little bit more intellectual. I I remember when I was in seminary, I went to Princeton Seminary. It's a Presbyterian seminary. Have you heard the phrase that they call Presbyterians? The frozen chosen. You ever heard this? Frozen chosen. I've offended all the, the uh, Presbyterians here this morning. What does that mean? It means you sit in the pews and you're kind of stoic and frozen, you know. And, and that was my experience at, at Princeton. The sermons that were preached in the chapel, I went three days a week. The sermons that were preached in the chapel were very carefully written. They were written on a manuscript, word for word, and they were read. You know, the, the, the preacher was, would read. It's very intellectual, very academic. You could ask to be handed that manuscript after the sermon and you would see, you know, academic citations on the bottom from the books that they had cited while writing it. And at first I would sit in those pews and I thought, man, this is really dry. There's no emotion here at all. And I think some of my professors would say, yeah, that's the point. No emotions here. But here's the thing. Over time, as I sat in those pews, I realized I was having this experience in my intellect. And the best way I can describe the experience is that over months of sitting in that pew... It's like God was reaching into my mind and rearranging the furniture. 
And I learned to trust that. There were no tears. There was no emotion. But there was something happening in my mind. The Holy Spirit was reaching into my mind through the preaching in that sort of stoic, stayed, rote way. Something was happening. Something transformational was happening in me. And I'm taking my time explaining this because we don't often talk about this very much in church. I I get the sense that a lot of people expect or feel like if it's not emotional, it's not real. There are whole churches that design their program to manufacture an emotional experience. The music is very emotional and everything's emotional. And there's a, maybe there's an expectation that it's got to be emotional. But I'm looking at you folks who don't have that emotional experience. Maybe you've never had that emotional experience with God. That's okay. You're still a real Christian. You could go through your entire Christian journey and never have tears in church. Maybe you're more like Thomas. Maybe you're more like me, where God rearranges the furniture of your intellect through his Holy Spirit. He knows how each of us needs to be met. He knows how each of us needs to have our our behold moment where we realize, like Thomas did, my Lord and my God. Or like Mary did when she said, Rabbi, Rabboni, she said when her name was called. Or like Peter did when he said, you know I love you, Lord. God knows. Those of you who are raising children, you know the children respond to discipline each differently and uniquely. So we give them discipline in their own unique way. We have to learn that. In the same way, Jesus, the hound of heaven, goes and pursues us and he finds us and he meets us and he reveals himself to us in a way that we can understand, in a way that we need. He's so gracious in that. Sometimes I get envious of the people who who lived in the gospel stories. How amazing would that have been to be Thomas, touching that body? How amazing would that have been to be Mary, feeling that embrace? How amazing would it have been to be Peter having breakfast on the beach with Jesus? But we don't need to be envious of those stories because of what it says here. I love this. In verse 28, we're going to pick up the story. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? And then Jesus refers to us. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Isn't that cool? Jesus refers to us down the generations of history. And then John, the narrator of the whole story, speaks to us even further. In verse 30, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, these stories in this book, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What's John telling us here? He's saying, you know, Thomas had the great privilege and pleasure of touching the actual risen body of Christ. But John is saying, look what we get to touch and read and behold. Some of us need Jesus to meet us in our emotions. And there are stories in here. There are psalms in here that really touch the emotions. It's all in here. Some of us need that intellectual proof, and we can open this, and there's a whole field of study called Christian apologetics, which really reaches the intellect, and it shows people, look, Jesus is real. Some of us just need that reconciling story of the gospel, like Peter got to hear on the beach. That's what this book is all about, John is saying. Look, we get Jesus is the hound of heaven reaching us, pursuing us, revealing himself to us through all the stories of this book. I love the Bible. What a gift it is for us.
We've built the entire ministry here at Stanwich on this, really. We have this gift from him. Even more than that, we come to the communion table every Sunday. Thomas got to touch the body of Jesus, but look at the, the meal he's left for us where he says, this is my body given for you. Take it, eat it. We too get to touch it when we take communion together. We get to drink the juice, take it into our bodies. I just love, Jesus is so gracious. He didn't have to do any of this stuff for us. But he's the hound of heaven. He's pursuing us. He wants us to experience. He wants us to have an encounter with him. So he says, come, let's have supper. Come, people of God. See, taste, feel, think, behold, and believe. Amen. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church, and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.